your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome to Off Tackle Empire, the official podcast of Off Tackle Empire and your source for Big Ten football discussion, uh, shade throwing, what have you, um, and uh, also, you know, really tortured references to things that happened to our teams while we were in school. Um, Once again, to start our summer podcast series to go along with Big Ten 2021 on our website, as we've done the last several years. I am Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thomas I'm here with Andrew Krzyzewski. I'm not here with Andrew Krzyzewski because, well, we're almost to the point where we can where we can do it live again, but um, it's just not worth the effort because I think we're both uh, pretty exhausted after the events of last night when we finally both went to our first sports event in when, in well over a year. We did, and we went to the, the only team in this state that doesn't consistently disappoint its adherents, which would be... Detroit City Football Club, and after a, a long, hard-fought kind of back-and-forth game that looked like it was inexorably heading for a scoreless tie in the second minute of stoppage time, <laughs> 92 minutes in, uh, they break the tie off of a corner. Um, I had basically, to that point, I think if that hadn't happened, I probably would have been okay today. I think one mug of throat coat would have done me, would have done me right. And I would have been back here sounding like my normal self. So this this version of me, this kind of sling bladey kind of thing you might be getting once it's once it's coming in through your headphones, listener, is temporary. But you are going to hear it because we're good. We do a couple of these teams at a time to for one thing, so that we don't have to find recording episodes, recording times every week over the summer. But we don't go too far into the future because, especially this off season, if we were to record something. A month ahead of time by the time it actually airs 90 percent of the information will be wrong because there's going to be another 100 players from the big 10 in the transfer portal for all we know so yeah, for all we know in fact this one will be outdated by the time we publish it because we're recording this uh a full week before illinois week actually kicks off <clears throat> due to availability conflicts notably i'll be gone for about a week um but yeah, live sports for the first time since the last live sports event I went to was in the 2019-2020 college basketball season, Illinois at Michigan. That was the, that was the last one. It was quite a uh, oh man, you know, quite a different atmosphere. It's fun. You mentioned that last night, and at the time, I I kind of idly thought to myself, like, what was the last? And I couldn't remember offhand. I'm pretty sure I know what it is. So you know what? It finish your thought. Put a pin in me really quick. Was it, I, well, because I, th- I think I know what it is, but I, I was going to say the main difference between the uh, roughly 1,600 attendance at Keyworth Stadium and the last sports event I went to at, uh, at a, you know, a pretty packed house in Ann Arbor was uh, last night the, the home fans made a lot more noise. <laughs> you know, and I could say that and it wouldn't necessarily even be a diss on Michigan, but I also mean it to be one. Uh, the one because the Northern Guard is fucking crazy. What I couldn't remember is whether I made it to a Michigan State basketball game after the end of the football season in 2019, 2020. And I don't think I did. And you know, because I think that you have to go back further to remember the last time you were at a game where your team scored points, right? 
Well, it depends on what he means by score points, because as far as I can tell, consulting it, and again, I, I may have ended up going to a basketball game that season, just forgetting about it. Um, but I feel like I would remember given the circumstances that followed. So I'm pretty sure the last live sporting event I saw before last night was Michigan State hosting Maryland November 30th, 2019, the last, what turned out to be the last home game of the Mark Antonio era in which Michigan State won. I'll, I'll throw air quotes around oh, that. No, they programmed 19, one. 19 to 16 to secure bowl eligibility so they could go on and play in one of the least interesting bowl. The, a bowl game that was only not the least interesting postseason game I've ever seen because the previous year they had played in that terrible Red Box Bowl. So yeah, that was the last game I was at was the, the, the last home game of the D'Antonio era, a horribly boring 1916 win over Maryland. You know, if I were a Michigan State fan, I would really, really want to own one of those program win hats so that I could just carry it with me in like non-conference games that we should steamroll the opponent and like wear it proudly out of the stadium when it's like, oh, sweet, we beat a Furman program win. Man, I'll tell you. Um... It's like that it's not ideal shirt that I never ended up getting because our, <laughs> our thing came through. I like uh, just the kind of fan I am of the, some of these teams, particularly Illinois football, but I like ironic merchandise when I know it's going to be a struggle for a while. Yeah. Um, I forgot that you went to that one because I was thinking about the road trip to Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, that had happened earlier that season as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we, we digress a little bit. But, of course, this even with this being the Illinois episode, since we haven't talked to you guys in a while, we'll tell you a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I went to that as well. Those were the two games I was able to attend in person last year was going to Madison with a couple of my buddies to watch MSU lose 38 to nothing. And then <laughs> that season, uh, that 1960 went over Maryland. I don't remember who I was with at the Maryland game. I might have taken my mom. Um, you were also strongly encouraged to attend the stupidest football game I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. You tried to make me go to a Michigan State-Illinois game. And when Michigan State was up big early in that game, you sassed me for being a, a bad, entitled fan because I wasn't there. And I, how, how dare I uh, so blithely throw off an obvious conference win that I could attend in person? I didn't respond for a minute because uh, the worm was already turning by the time I read that text from you. And I was like, Okay. All right, Steve. All right, Steve. All right, Steve. Steve. All right. All right, Steve. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> and sure enough, and it, later at that point, I think after the game was over, but maybe even before that, like maybe it was obvious how it was going to turn out. You you texted me back something to the effect of, "Okay, you're right." Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I told you so. I told you this team was that bad. Uh, yeah, I did not go to that game, but fortunately, it, you know, that game in terms of other stuff that happened. I mean. They got absolutely murdered by Michigan that year. Um, the Arizona State game was infuriating. Uh, there was nothing about that season that was that was redeeming in any sense. Honestly, they they should have lost to Indiana, but they had the biggest, the most fortuitous kind of dicey penalty. Like that was the first time I remember a penalty being called at a big moment that actually changed the game in Michigan State's favor. Um, that Indiana game, <laughs> yeah. If, if Anyone out there is still wondering how much we have suffered with this pandemic. Here we are um, fondly remembering miserable times from two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, Michigan as, State as 2019. Illinois week, we are going to talk about the Illinois fighting Illini. And there's no better place to start. No, really no other sensible place to start than at the top where there is a new head man in charge in Illinois after one 
Um, Lovey, Lovetavius Smith has been shown the door. And now Brett Bielema putting on his coaching moo-moo again. Well, you know, the thing is, what you'll often hear is that what does it matter? How could he do worse? And yeah, of course, you want to say that about, about everything. But literally, I don't see how he could possibly coach five years at Illinois and do worse than four and 26 in the Big Ten West. And even if he did, what does it matter? Does it like, like four and 26 is so bad that like doing worse feels roughly the same. Um, Nevertheless, since his hiring, he's demonstrated that he at least right now, while he's very focused, it appears, uh, has the aptitude to just do the basic things that you'd expect a Big Ten football coach to do which of course for Illinois fans is, is just a blessing. Um, you know, like one of the, one of the first things that happened was that he retained uh, Corey Patterson, the head coach from Trinity Catholic in, uh, in St. Louis and our best recruiter from the Lovey regime retained that guy. And, you know, we, we were all sure he wouldn't do it, not because we have any idea what Bielema's style was, but because like, of course, that's the obvious thing that a coach really needs to turn the struggling program around you know, needs to do. That's the obvious move to make. So of course the guy's not going to do it because he, he's at Illinois and he's been infested by some ridiculous brain slugs now that will completely destroy his coaching acumen. Um, but no, he, he, he did the obvious thing. He's put together a staff that's fairly sensible and then outlined a recruiting plan um, has been fairly aggressive in making contact with recruits. We've gotten a bunch of commits early, which, you know, again, I, having, learned since Lovey's firing that there were a number of prominent high schools in Illinois that Lovey Smith never once in five years personally visited. Um, just the fact that there's basic competence being shown, like just, just basic, I know how to do this job and I know the things that it takes to do. And I'm willing to do, you know, to do the things that it takes to like maybe build toward, build towards a six win season in a few years. Like, that kind yeah, of basic so, competence. Let's, yeah, let's examine that kind of level of program expectation at the moment then. So you, it, I think the first thing is it's probably fair to say, I'm sure you would agree. So last year, between cancellations in the shortened season, Illinois ends up two and six, right? And those two wins are a, a three-point squeaker over Rutgers, which was much improved, but still a bad team. Um, a hilariously wide margin of victory over Nebraska and then lost every other game. So it is fair to, is it fair to assume that you agree even in, in a more normal season, full 12 game schedule, normal off season, all that Illinois probably would not have been much better. We're talking like a four win team tops. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the things is we did like, it's possible that with all of our starters that Wisconsin gave COVID to, um, we probably beat Purdue because of how poorly they played in that game, but in none of the other losses were we remotely competitive. Um, so yeah, that'd be fair to say. And it'd also be fair to say that that was well below what my expectations were given the experience level of the group. However, the good news is because of that COVID thing, we actually got a lot of super seniors back. So where I'd been saying since 2019 that 2021 is going to be terrible no matter who's the, who the coach is. Well, it's possible that we might be able to win a big 10 game this year because we've got enough guys back from last year's team, a bad team, but a team that was capable of winning, you know, of, of catching Nebraska sleeping of, uh, you know, beating Rutgers. 
And I do what I wonder a little bit, and I'm not going to go overboard with my assessment of Illinois' roster here or make them out to be like the 2009 Illini in terms of talent, but it's fair to say, like, there's it's not that there's no talent here. I mean, looking just at the offensive line, Kendrick Green, you're going to miss, but you still have Vidarian Lowe at left tackle, Kramer at center. Um, they'll have to have a couple younger pieces work out there. They have uh, Alex Polcheski at right tackle. I mean, they got both of the tackles back, and uh, they've got even though the 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 depth has been fairly thin because they kind of gave up recruiting offensive linemen uh, after 2018. Um, some of the guys that they've gotten over from the defensive line, uh, Virtus Brown uh, has been it definitely physically fits the part. Uh, Julian Pearl has been very strong. He he played in spots last year and looked very good um, as well as I can't remember. the. No, I'm thinking of a different guy. Um, I'm thinking of the defensive line now, but uh, yeah, no, there was, there was enough talent on that team that it, it shouldn't have been like that. Like that, if, if that team was talented enough that if there had been a normal, if there would have been no COVID, then missing a bowl would have been a, a complete catastrophe as for, and that's what it would have happened. That's what that's what it would have been like. They would have absolutely lost more than seven games. Uh, they lost six games as it is. So, all right. And so you look elsewhere on the roster. I think it's fair to say that having the combination of Chase Brown, uh, Mike Epstein, you have a transfer, and Chase Hayden also at running back. And I didn't notice this. Were you aware that you picked up Jafar Armstrong from Notre Dame too? I mean, yeah, you've got the, you've got the guys you need to have a good running game. The real the problem, the persistent disaster for Illinois last year, notwithstanding the occasional overwhelming surge of Josh and Matt or Bebe, was that the passing game didn't make any sense. Um, and there was there were times structurally where the offense didn't seem to make sense, where the quarterback they had picked and his physical abilities compared to the amount of zone read they ran, just it was nonsensical. And so based on based on what Bielema has looked for, certainly in transfer guys. You can read between the lines a little bit and basically conclude they're going to be looking for your more statuesque type of quarterback because uh, we're bearing the lead here. You acquired Art Sitkowski from Rutgers. I mean, Illinois is a meme. Let's just embrace it at this point. That's hilarious. And yeah, it's not just that. It's also the spring game was a very useful window because they did line up Peters under center a lot. Um Isaiah Williams actually made some pretty good throws, but I do not think that he has a future in this offense. You say that, but isn't it, isn't the solution to that obvious? This is a team that's in bad need of playmakers at wide receiver. And I know, I understand he came to Illinois because Lovey promised him he could play quarterback. He stayed because they found ways to shoehorn him into the game at quarterback occasionally. It's at some point, if you know the guy's not going to be what you want at quarterback, don't you say, look, I get what the last staff told you, but if you want to help this team, it's going to be catching passes, not throwing up. Don't you well, at least take that swing and see if he's willing to give it a shot? Because I think they absolutely will, and one of the reasons I think that they'll be able to do it is because they have his high school coach on staff. Yeah, so if you if you st- if, if with that relationship in place, you can't convince the guy to move on for – I don't think he's he's not playing quarterback for you either way. Isn't that just how the conversation goes? Isn't it? Well, you're not playing quarterback for us, so you may as well either move on to somewhere that'll let you, or why don't you give receiver a shot since you're here? You've been here a couple of years now. Your high school coach is here. You should be comfortable, even with a new head coach and a new offensive coordinator. That seems like the solution that makes everybody potentially happy. I don't know. 
Um, but yeah, this is a team that should be able to, in a vacuum, run the ball behind a strong offensive line. Um, you know, I mean, Luke Ford, actually a pretty capable run blocker. Um, of course, that's most of what his highlights were last year because I only threw to him like a couple of times over the course of the entire season. But that is, in fact, the problem is the run game's not going to work when everybody puts nine in the box. So unless they can find some way to make them respect the pass game, uh, it's going to have to involve both of those tight ends, which I think Bielema is trying to do. They, they threw a lot of passes to Ford and Barker in the spring game, uh, which I know is not necessarily a uh, proof of concept preview, but that, that lines up pretty consistently with, with, you know, the under center pro style offense is you, you want to be able to make throws to, to, to tight ends, uh, you know, not too far downfield. And you want to, you, you hope to be able to have some playmakers that can get open deep. Just you go to that just a few times a game, just so that they don't put nine in the box. Um, as far as the actual deep threats they would have, yeah, the fastest guys on the roster are Kyron Cumbie, a former track star, and then the other athletes are five-star athletes that played different – well, yeah, five-star athletes that played different positions, Marcus Beeson and Isaiah Williams. So it's a bit of a – it's a bit of a – it's going to be a bit, of a bit of a weird fit because I guess the other guy is Kamari Thompson from Mizzou – is going to be in the mix there. He was, he was working out with the ones, but that's going to be the whole thing that makes the offense go is they're not going to use the passing game offense. They're not going to use the passing game often, but when they do, can they get results? It's going to depend a bit on Brandon Peters confidence too, because that I don't know if confidence is the right thing to say, but that seemed to be what's holding him back. I just just never forget like as the Wisconsin game got further and further away from them, he just started to, it looked like he was second guessing his throws as they were on their way forward. Um, I don't know. This is an offense that has the, that has most of the ingredients to, you know, at least do the time of possession thing and grind out things, but they lack some key ingredients to make balance happen. So I fully acknowledge that this is a very lazy comparison, but Really what it sounds like is if Illinois is going to have success, they need the makeup of the offense to look somewhat like Vilma's time at Wisconsin. And really he carried a lot of that over at Arkansas. They had better receiver talent than he had at at Wisconsin, but not by much. Well, look at the recruiting class he's put together. It's a bunch of offensive linemen. Right. But he, there is a need for that because as you said, there was going to, because of the way Smith approached recruiting there's gonna there was gonna be an offensive lineman armageddon coming for illinois where a whole bunch of guys left at once and because you've got the free covid year for everyone a lot of illinois offensive line guys took that it's just delayed a little bit but that need is still going to be there so and let's be that was going to be the case regardless of who the coach was maybe there's another body or two because it's a bielma but that was gonna there were always gonna need to be like six or seven guys in this offensive line class for illinois yeah, and let's also be clear that when you say Lovey's approach to recruiting, I mean just in, not do in it. certain, I mean, not in certain yeah, yeah, in yeah, certain I mean, ways you could see the approach changing because you know it went more to the transfer portal. But really, if you look a little deeper, their approach was always, "What's the thing I can do that will be the least effort that I can put into this job?" <laughs> and so that was always Lovey was always challenging himself to find that solution to that problem. What's the thing the least effort? Okay, so if I get these transfer guys, these blue chippers out of these high major schools, then not only do I not have to recruit high schools, 
but I don't have to coach him very much. <laughs> oh my God. Think of all the work I could save. <laughs> I, look, man, that's thinking smarter, not harder. Uh, <laughs> okay. So um, on the other side of the ball, this is, it, it's kind of strange in the same way, because if you look at the personnel Illinois has returning here, the experience and what you can think of in terms of individual performances from some of these guys, it's easy to look at this and think that Illinois defense could and should be pretty good right away. Um, I also think this linebacking group could be as good as any in the big 10, depending on how Shaman Cooper does. He's still around, right? He didn't leave. Yeah. 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 So you've got him, Jake Hansen's an all American. Um, Kalan Tolson flashed a little bit in his time last year. So Rick Barnes was okay. Yeah. Well, For yeah, a guy I mean, that Miles Smith literally just like found on Google. Yeah. And because of his time at Wisconsin, I think most people, connect Brett Bielema with like oh he's a run he's a an offensively minded run game specialist no he's a defensive coordinator by trade he played nose tackle yeah so this is going to be the side of the ball that you would think he personally is going to leave a little bit of a stamp on and there's a ton of experience on the defensive line as well Owen Carney Jamal Woods um, Roderick Perry they have as a grad transfer or as a graduate Roderick Perry was an absolutely explosive piece of that defensive line that uh, never got enough credit because Lovey Smith basically designed a defense around the biggest liability of his defensive players. Um, if, if you were going to design a defense with the roster that he had to be as ineffective as possible, what Lovey did would have been it because you had these linebackers that were, were decent against the run. You had them in coverage against you know, slot receivers in zone coverage. So yeah, Jake Hansen doesn't need to be playing middle linebacker in a Tampa too. But that's what he ended up doing every time. So, uh, boy. So, yeah, the hope, look, the hope there is that you do have these individual pieces. You would think that Brett Bielema, I mean, again, imagine Hansen playing the kind, or, or Tolson or even Cooper or Barnes playing the kind of roles that guys like Mike Taylor and Chris Borland did when Bielema was still at Wisconsin. Like, they have that kind of playmaking ability. It's just, again, like you said, the defense involved a lot of sitting back on their heels in zones or chasing guys around in coverage. So deploy those guys in more of an attacking front um, situation. I think that, I think the results there could improve faster than you think is the case. I know you're, you're quite pessimistic. I understand at this point, it's a once bitten twice shy thing. Why would you believe until this team proves that you have any reason to, but look, the, the good thing is we're going to wrap up our football discussion with the aspect of, of the game where Illinois is, Rock solid all Americans at both spots. That special teams, Blake Hayes and James McCourt are a combo unmatched in the country. I think. I don't think there's a better kicker punter combination than those guys. Well, McCourt has not been the most accurate um, in this last year, but he's got 60 yard range, as Lovey Smith repeatedly demonstrated in situations that didn't call for it. <laughs> <laughs> like, God, I'll just never forget 2019 Eastern Michigan. Uh, opening drive of the game ends in a 57 yard field goal instead of like a fourth and two. And then we make it, but it's like, (laughs) that's so frustrating. Um, Blake Hayes is going to put on a highlight reel. I think we need to get his Heisman campaign rolling early. Um, I do want to circle back defense because just because there's a scheme change there, we're going to see not so much a three, four, but what I think is more of a five, two scheme there, which I think we'll have the advantage of putting a lot more pressure on the quarterback and actually that'll allow the uh, defensive backfield to, 
you know, maybe have a little better reputation than the uh, last place ranking we gave them in our position rankings, because it's true. They were terrible against the pass, but also they didn't get much help from the pressure because we never blitzed. And I get get that. But look, even though I know that on this point, I'm about to bring up, you agreed with all of them. We got some knuckleheads in our polling system here because for you guys to declare an as yet undecided Ohio State starter as the number one quarterback in the conference is asinine. Y'all are not trying anymore. So um, I don't put as much stock in those as I used to. It's funny at first when the Minnesota and Iowa guys rank Wisconsin last and everything and that it bleeds over into other stuff. And now we got this thing where we're all just wallowing so much in our fear of Ohio State that it's like, well, whoever they have is going to be pretty good, you guys. Like, God, it's been a hard <laughs> that was a pretty, That was a pretty passable droopy dog. I didn't mean for it to be at first, but I kind of like my voice dropped a little bit lower than I meant to. I was like, I'm just, let's just roll in the droopy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I used to love those cartoons though. Him and, uh, <laughs> him and the cat that had a really weird way of talking. Not so bad. Not, um, that was the guy. It'll come to me. I'm sure. Um, yeah, I watched a lot of boomerang when I was in high school. So anyway, uh, Same. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know the expectations. I mean, if you look at the schedule, you have, Nebraska opening opening season in Champaign, which is not Dublin. Um, and that seems like one of the more winnable Big Ten games, not so much because they beat Nebraska last year, but because they're going to be debuting new schemes against an opponent that's not going to have film on what they're running. And so you get a bit of the element of surprise there. And Nebraska seems like not a team that will adapt to it well. Yeah, well, and up and down the schedule. So the non-conference part of it, Virginia is going to be tough, especially because you're going there. But UTSA and Charlotte, those better both be wins. Yeah, UTSA did win five games in CUSA last year. They won five and two. Um, Are you listening to yourself, man? (laughs) You're concerned about about locking up a game against the five and two conference USA team. (laughs) Like, yeah, you know what? I that one, if that one's not, I hit my vape pen so hard at halftime of the Western Illinois game in 2018 that I talked myself into them actually being LSU as we squeaked out a win thanks to a special teams touchdown. Like I said, once bitten, twice shy. I I get it, I do, but other than that, the crossovers here in in the conference are going to be Penn State and Rutgers and Maryland and Maryland. So that's probably, I mean, you're not going to get a much, like you don't have Ohio state. You Michigan don't want Indiana. Yeah, Michigan will talk to you, but yeah, it, honestly, I think the, probably the top three teams in the East next year are Ohio state, obviously, and then Penn state, Indiana behind them. So in a way you could look at this as saying you ducked two of the three toughest teams in the crossovers. Yeah. You're not going to get like, it, it's, it's going to, there's only going to be one or two teams that get to play the weakest teams in the crossover. So that goes about as well as it could. You do get Wisconsin at home. That's still going to be a tough game, I think. But they didn't exactly cover themselves in glory last year, for good reasons. Back to back on the road at Minnesota and Iowa towards the end of the year is going to be tough. Let me see. Where's the bye week here? It oh, there's between, two bye weeks. Yeah, so one bye is between Wisconsin and Penn State, and the other, yeah, the buys could be better situated. So. You've got to buy and then you play three weeks and you get actually, no, that's pretty good. That could be, that could be worse. Cause the second buy is going to be in the middle of November between those two road games. So that lines up about as well as it could really. So I don't know. Looking at this, 
I think you're probably your, your top end goal here is probably going to be five wins. Six feels like a stretch, but that's still going to be a substantial improvement. It's still going to be almost as good as the high watermark of the Lovey Smith era. I mean, I'm personally, because if you look at every single um, Illinois coach since um, Lou Tepper kind of inherited the job, uh, outside of Lovey Smith, they have all started out by losing all of their Big Ten games. And that's what I see happening here. So I will, but because of that, I will view any Big Ten win as a, a pretty positive mark for this group because there isn't really, there's nothing like Chris Ash Rutgers on this schedule. There's nothing like Daryl Hazel Purdue on this schedule, which by the way, we lost to in right. Lovey's first year. Well, there's so not, there's nothing there's nothing that looks like that kind of team on the schedule right now. With the benefit of hindsight later, we might find out that actually Scott Frost, Nebraska is Chris Ash Rutgers. Wouldn't that be a fun thing to learn later? Not even remotely possible because <laughs> <laughs> you ye of little faith. I... <laughs> They've already won too many conference games depending on how long he stays there. <laughs> what if he just loses every game for the next three years? <laughs> I mean, uh, we'll get to them later, but they for a, for a make or break year, not a friendly schedule. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, very, very bad for them. But the, the big game, of course, that I have circled is the final Illinutgers in this particular installment of the series. And we'll pick back up um, probably for the big 10 championship game next year, but Outside of that, the regular season's not scheduled to meet until 2024. Uh, of course, with the added drama of the fact that Art Sitkowski is probably the second best quarterback on this Illinois team now. It's never, it, look, I know the series is going to be going away, but the ones who love us never truly leave us. We'll send it off with a bang. Oh, speaking of a bang. Oh, hopefully not a bang to the jaw of Sitkowski. Speaking like, of uh, a bang, let's talk hoops for a minute. Um, sure. I know that was a terrible Mike Breen. I wasn't really trying very hard because if I were to try, if I were to, if I were to turn the torque on my voice up above like 60% right now, it would blow out. I would have smoke coming out of my throat. So we will pivot now and discuss briefly the season that was for Illinois basketball. Although we, again, we, as the season ended up, we'd, talked a little bit about each team back then so I think maybe the best way to frame this is to ask you but other than that how was the play Mr. Lincoln well you know I had a bit of a I think I was able to kind of put it put it to bed and really appreciate what the season was when I saw the team with their with their big 10 championship banner which is what they called it it says tournament on it it was a tournament that they won that was the big 10 but they just Literally didn't call it anything but Big Ten Championship banner. But my point is, that's the first team banner that Illinois can hang in like 16 years. And uh, no matter what Jordan Bohannon thinks, it's not going away. And <laughs> that's just the next time I go there, I'm going to see that. And that's going to make me so happy. They accomplished something this year that, you know, they they, they stood at the top of the Big Ten uh, for, for that one uh, shining moment. Um, I'm glad you because they had theirs before the NCAA tournament started, because then the uh, the the, the mixtape for one shining moment only featured um, Ayo Desumu in his mask with a thousand yard stare. <laughs> that was the only Illinois highlight I saw. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm glad you came around to my way of thinking on this as I tried to walk you through it as it happened, because 
it has been a while by definition since your team suffered a painful tournament situation. And that's one I've been through a few times recently, isn't it? So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I get the end result was disheartening. Um, and there's certainly a missed opportunity there when you're good enough to be a one seed, but I will tell you that, you know, being a, a one eight upset, isn't going to be the kind of thing that people mention nationally, at least. I mean, it wasn't, I don't think it was a top five most embarrassing upset in this tournament. There's an argument that it's, it doesn't make the medal stand for worst losses by the big 10 in this tournament. So that's certainly not mouth Bob. No, it's not mouth Bob. It's not North Texas with the dad with the airbrushed sweatshirt. Um, it's, it's, I, well, and I sort of touched on this thing up there, but then UCLA went to the damn final four. So, <laughs> anyway. well, I mean, I sort of touched on this in in an article that will have come out by the time this comes out. But, uh, you know, I, I at least like that Loyola needed to game plan to take away our best player. Um, their whole game plan defensively was situated around doing things to disrupt Iodasumu. Whereas with Oregon, with Luka Garza, their game plan was. Eh, just ignore him. Let him do his thing out there. We'll just keep scoring points. Yeah, let He's him not stop thing. us. Count on, count on the fact that we can just, just score. Just, just ignore him and keep scoring points. <laughs> never mind the never mind the guy with the very wide grouper mouth who is going to score thirty because the rest of his team can't get to seventy. So, <laughs> uh, boy, yeah. <clears throat> and you mentioned it, and we'll bring it up here, and then probably leave it after that. The determination of the regular season champion um, was and remains some bullshit. Michigan played fewer games than the team that finished right behind them. They lost to them head to head. They were allowed to determine the terms of their return to play after a COVID pause. Um, I just look at it this way. Why couldn't they have played one more game, Michigan and Illinois, to settle it once and for all? Wouldn't that think of the ratings that could have gotten? Think of the money they could have charged for the one-time licensing event for that kind of thing. I don't know. That's just my observation. Um, but it's very typical that Michigan's able to cross their arms defensively and declare that the rules indicate that we are the victors, sir. Uh, that's, for the most part, how they raise their banners. So... Yeah, well, you know, for for all of the Michigan people with all of their Michigan golf equipment because they're boomers and also Michigan is littered with golf courses, Illinois just won their sixth straight Big Ten golf championship. And no, there's no win percentage to save Michigan from this one. Illinois just kicks their ass in country club sports. Also beat them in tennis. <laughs> Get the fuck out of the country club, Michigan. We run this bitch. <laughs> Nobody lives high class quite like the residents. It is, it is after all, Champagne Urbana, don't you know? So, <laughs> uh, looking a little bit ahead to next year, and we'll do brief preview episodes for every basketball team. So this information will also be outdated, we expect, because there's some churn on the Illinois coaching staff that could impact the makeup of the roster, but we're still in a, basically what's happening is we're in a bidding war with Kentucky for literally both of our rec- like big time recruiting assistants, Chin Coleman and Orlando Antigua and Twig and Tigua, of course was already one of the most highly paid assistants in college basketball. Um, Josh Whitman has basically said, we will pay you more than Kentucky is willing to pay you. And of course the reaction to that is, are you sure? And yes, he was apparently offered 1.2 million at one point. Um, and Whitman is willing to go higher. So 
I, I literally said we should pay him head coach money if that's what it takes to get him to stay. And it sounds like we're actually doing that. If <laughs> no matter who gets him, he will be the highest paid assistant in the country by miles. I well, yeah, man. Over a million dollars is head coach money in basketball. It is. There it are lots of little, there are lots of low majors who do not pay their head coaches that much. So that is head coach money. Um, yeah, you know, it's just it just goes to show you you gotta give the bag to get the bag or to have the, to have the bag to give, you have to give the bag to the bag holder. So in terms of roster construction and what we know right now, I understand DeMonte Williams recently announced his intention to return. So that's a positive. Him yep, and Trent, Trent Frazier are, back doing, as well. are running it back as super seniors. Iota Sunmu is gone. You're going to miss him for sure. Um, Georgie is also gone. Correct. Uh, I don't even know yet. I thought he Probably. indicated he was going to play in Europe somewhere. Probably. Um, which makes sense. And also Adam Miller, which is a hilarious transfer for reasons we've discussed. Like, okay, whatever. Do you? <laughs> he, oh, he went to LSU. Yeah, oh yeah, that's what I saw today. And I was like, okay, yeah, bag confirmed. To cover the roster losses, and, and the other thing, of course, is that Kofi Coburn's status is up in the air. The draft declaration deadline, I think, is still a few weeks away. Um, not really clear if he's coming back or not. On the one hand, you wonder, well, how much better of a season could he possibly have, especially without Io? And on the other, the answer is, well, he could show any inclination to run a pick and roll or to shoot from the outside at all. Like, like if, he, if he wants to improve his NBA stock, there is really obvious stuff he could do. But the thing is, Underwood's shown no inclination to do any of that with him through two seasons. Why would that change in his third year? So to cover for those losses and for possible loss of Kofi, um, Brandon Underwood has gone shopping, picked up a couple of high-impact transfers. Omar Payne, the post guy from Florida, and Alfonso Plummer from Utah, shooting guard who plays with Curbelo on the Puerto Rican national team. And then he's got a few prep prospects coming in, a couple top 100 guys in Luke Good and Ramses Melendez, really good entry for the all-name team, as well as a little bit more of a project in Brandon Podjemski. Wouldn't expect too much out of him as a freshman, but he's the kind of guy who could develop into, he's got the length, he's got the shooting stroke. As an upperclassman, maybe you look for him to be a contributor. So so what happened is at some point during the Loyola game, Underwood presumably uh, muttered under his un, uh, under his breath to these, these assistants, shit, if we only had like three really athletic wings. <laughs> <laughs> On it, boss. <laughs> and they started, they took their, I, they took their burner phones out and started uh, texting right then. So in terms of expectations, pretty wide variance here depending on what Kofi Coburn does right if he stays Illinois can reasonably expect in my mind to stay in the double buy conversation in the Big Ten um, if he goes then what you probably have is a year restructuring as the Andre Corbello show where you've got you know featuring super senior Trent Frazier and then the results there are going to vary basically depending on how much you get out of the freshman and how much the transfers are able to mesh right away um, that's still, to me, even in Illinois next year, even without Kofi Coburn, is still middle of the pack in the Big Ten, I think, probably something like seventh, eighth, ninth. Um, Definitely a tournament contender. Yeah, and not the worst thing in the world, considering they, at that point, would have lost two 
generational type player. I don't know. If, well, two all Americans. College team. Yeah. For, yeah. A couple of all Americans. So uh, I would assume of the first unanimous first team, all American in Illinois history. Yeah. And consider Illinois history too. And what that means. So, yeah. You know, well, and, and Trent Frazier, I knew there was not a chance he didn't come back and use this extra year. He has, that's a whole nother group of freshman girls into whose DMS he can slide. You think he's going to pass that up? <laughs> It's important to know where your opportunities are, are, are best open to you. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle.